Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Deprogrammed on Unsafe Space. I am your host, Carter Laren, and I'm here with Carrie. Carrie, do you want to do a quick shout out? Who should I shout out? I don't know. Just <laughs> hi. Just shout out to everyone. Hi guys. I guess shout out's the wrong word. All right. I sound old right away. I'm using the <laughs> wrong language. I'm not dope. <laughs> uh, uh, as always, you can follow us at Unsafe Show on Twitter. You can go to unsafeshow.com and there's ways to support the show and whatever. Uh, like us, follow us, podcast. You follow us on podcasts, all that kind of stuff. You can go to Facebook, Deprogrammed Podcast. Yes. And Unsafe um, Show. Yes. Every, there's, it's all over the place. Um, and hopefully the video switching is working this time. I guess we'll find out later. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I found out last time that mostly it was me talking and Carrie's face or Carrie talking while I was like getting up and doing stuff, not and changing the clothes. <laughs> yeah. So I'll, I, I'm, I'm not going to change my clothes this episode regardless. So it's uh, a good thing. It was just your jacket and not your pants. <laughs> right. Right. Well, who knows that I'm wearing <laughs> pants, Carrie, right. That's, uh, you're making an assumption. So, <laughs> Today we're going to talk about uh, we're going to to dist we're going to ruin comedy by talking about it because I think it's hard to talk about comedy because <clears throat> talking about comedy makes it boring. What was actually there was a really great quote. Uh, I'll paraphrase. I don't remember what it was, but it was something like uh, studying comedy is like dissecting a frog. Like it's no one like uh, something about like the frog doesn't do well and, and no one likes it and it's unsatisfying. And I just butchered even that. So, <laughs> Carrie, you spent uh, a large part of your career as a manager of professional comedians, which I guess we will, uh, out of courtesy, even though most of them are social justice warriors, we will not name their names because name dropping them here, um, they would suddenly be associated with you. And I, I think we've established already that you are a horrible Nazi. So, mm, yes. um, we well, won't, we won't <laughs> won't drop their names it's weird because i try not to call people social justice warriors only because i try i try to make it about what a person's beliefs are rather than naming them i mean sometimes it's very clear like this person is an sjw but right when i'm thinking about it and when i'm careful with and and trying to be precise in what i'm saying i'll just say you know they subscribe to sjw beliefs or they subscribe to that ideology which um, which I selected comedians who did that. I mean, not not all of the comedians I worked with uh, primarily worked in that ideological space, but most of them did. And that was because I chose that. Like I I got into entertainment not because I cared about entertainment. Um, I never had a burning desire to work in entertainment like some of my colleagues did, I guess. Um, I just... I was really a true believer about SJW, the belief system. And so a lot of the comedians I was following, like I became a big fan of, um, uh, you know, I was a big fan of George Carlin and Bill Hicks, uh, Richard Pryor. And then I started working with uh, Margaret Cho. George Carlin was like the opposite of an SJW. Like. Exactly. But see, here's the thing. Before it got out of control, what I saw in like Margaret's work, for example, was someone who's willing to talk about issues of the day and to push the envelope and to be transgressive even with comedy 
And I sort of, I sort of viewed what I was doing as like, I want to work in with people who are changing the world and that whole SJW trope that I hate about like being on the right side of history. But I really was like, you know, I want to use entertainment and comedy to spread what I believe about the world and to do it in a humorous way. And I always felt like it's easier to uh, teach people something with humor than it is to, to just have a lecture. And that's true. But what I didn't realize was that like a lot of the stuff we talked about with this ideology, it's, I was pushing something that I, I now believe ultimately to be evil. It's just that I thought it was good. And I, and it also, there's a difference between tr like uh, maybe opening people's eyes to something with humor and then, and then indoctrinating them and not even being funny while you're doing it. <laughs> like, right. Like, right. So, so let's, uh, let's actually back up and give a little bit of history. Cause one of the, this has been in the news a lot lately, partly cause Kevin Hart, um, what, I don't know if he was, uh, I think he's voluntarily stepped down from hosting the Oscars, but it was pretty clear that that was what everyone wanted. Um, and yeah, so, and there's, people. there's, well, just to quickly, as an aside, I had someone say to me in an argument about this, well, he chose to step down. I'm like, dude, I, you can believe that if you want. I don't know what the truth is. The point is, I mean, I worked in entertainment. Right. You you come up with, people come up with lies all the time about why their client's not doing a show. You want to save face, whatever. You don't want it to look right. like you got fired or whatever the reason is. Or you, you don't want to do a show and you're tired and you really don't want to travel to Albuquerque and then you say you have, you're sick. You know what I mean? Like they, people come up with yeah. reasons all the time. Well, this happens so. in the in the executive world all the time. It's like, yeah, I, you're going to tender your resignation now. It's like, all right, sure, like, you're resigning. Okay. Yeah. Okay, I'll resign. Um, but uh, but anyway, I, maybe you can kind of step back and give us a little bit of history because you reminded me the other day that I was years ago. Even Jerry Seinfeld was talking about not doing comedy on college campuses. Um, maybe we can talk about why way back then it started to be an issue and kind of what what's it's maybe culminated in this uh Constantine Kissin uh incident the other day maybe you can just kind of walk us through and talk about what's happened and kind of where we are today well yeah so i mean comedy comedy when it's at its best i believe is you're making fun of, and, and this is where I kind of agree with SJW ideology, you're making fun of uh, the powerful sometimes, you're pointing out absurdities, you're, it's like the the court jester, you know, you're bringing them down to earth, and um, and and that's a kind of comedy that I, I think I, I agree with, SJWs would say, um, well, there's a popular thing in, that SJWs say about comedy, and it came from Molly Ivins, they say that uh, comedy, the best comedy is punching up, you know, not punching down. And what they mean by that is the best comedy is making fun of someone who's powerful and not making fun of someone who doesn't have power, right? So like it's considered cruel to make fun of someone who's already a victim or oppressed or what have you. Where I differ with them, I agree with that for the most part, but where I differ with them now is that they don't know which way is up or which way is down. And we've seen this with the way they define power. So if they're saying punching punching up is making fun of the powerful and punching down is making is making fun of people who don't have power. Well, I don't trust you to define power, SJWs. You have no their definition of power is not how much an individual, like an individual's ability to exert force on someone else or or, or to get what they want in the world, you know, my individual power. They they define power based on what groups I belong to. So it's a completely collectivist point of view. It's not an individualist point of view. Um, so therefore you can take something like 
you know, people who were doing jokes about Bruce Jenner before he transitioned to Caitlyn Jenner, that would be punching up because he's a straight white guy and he's successful and he's rich and he's a celebrity and you can do, and as he was starting, it was a great article about this, as he was starting to go through his transition or people didn't know what was going on with him. He was just acting more eccentric or whatever. And some of the late night comedians, like even Conan O'Brien were making jokes about him and, and maybe guessing that he was about to transition or something. And as soon as he did transition and came out as a woman, then all of a sudden it's like, now he's in a protected, now he has no power all of those jokes are now transphobic and those jokes are now punching down. Well, no, they're not punching as an individual. He is a powerful figure. Like it is still fine in my punching up to make fun of him. You're not going to be sure. doing great harm to Caitlyn Jenner. Um, so I, uh, uh, so I disagree with them on, on when it comes to defining power and what is punching up versus down. I don't trust them. They, they don't know directions. So, sure. um, sure. So that's where I'm well, wait a minute. And, we and were supposed to talk about how things changed, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, so just some examples because I'm not sure everyone is even aware. So one of the ones that I um that I think is kind of funny, and it's it's we referenced it actually uh, I, I when I made the the show graphic for this show. Uh there was a a guy, a YouTube guy named Count Dankula in the UK, and his girlfriend had a pug named buddha i think was the pug's name and while she was on vacation he thought it would be funny to teach the pug to do a nazi salute when he said sig heil he even right? said and, can i interrupt he even said while my like while my girlfriend was on vacation i thought it'd be funny to turn her adorable dog into the worst thing i could imagine a nazi right which was a nazi right like, so the yeah worst like, thing this is I a horrible imagine. thing yeah. i'm gonna take this yeah i'm gonna take this cute pug and turn it into this horrible thing and so, um, and he did, and he made a video of it, and uh, he was convicted um, in UK court. He was fined, what, 800 pounds? He didn't end up doing jail time, but uh, he was convicted of basically a hate crime. I mean, different language. He had to go to court. He had to get a lawyer. He had to, I mean, he mm -hmm. was, and they found him guilty. Yep. They found him guilty. And you know what? Uh, another... Nobody was speaking about like the only mainstream comedians I saw defending him and talking about it. I saw Ricky Gervais talking about it. I can't recall any others. Like all of the U.S. comedians who are always virtue signaling on Twitter, all the ones who've um, like I like to say SJWism is sort of like a a virus and it's catching, <laughs> and all the ones that have caught it, who are always the first to insert themselves into politics and to tweet stuff that's not comedy that's just like their opinions on what's happening in the world none of them were commenting on it cowards cowards right right and so and and i guess owen benjamin is kind of another classic example of someone who's been um well, he lost his contract and like you know a little bit more about owen benjamin and what's happened to him recently uh, i don't know if you want to talk about that but yeah, well, there were a few of them. Before I talk about Owen, there are two others in Canada. So the one you're talking about, Count Dankula, and I forget his real name is like Meacham, Mark Meacham or something. I think it's Meacham, yeah. Meacham. Um, so there was him. But then in Canada in the past, you know, eight or nine years, I know of two different comics who've faced charges uh, for uh, one of them was, um, wait a minute, I wrote their names down so I don't forget. Um, oh, Guy Earl. So Guy Earl was charged with, he made a joke about two lesbians who were heckling him 
and he called them dykes and while he was he and he made it and this is what comedians do all the time if they're being heckled they will oftentimes make fun of the hecklers and right, they punch almost, back they punch back right and the one of the women ended up suing him and i think it was the canadian uh human rights commission and he was fined with fifteen thousand dollars to pay this woman for ptsd because of him making a joke about her at a comedy show and that's in canada yeah. And then a few years later, so 2017, Mike Ward, same thing. Um, well, similar thing. It wasn't. It wasn't towards someone in the audience. It was. He was making fun of someone in the public eye, a singer. And I forget that. I forget the details. But the singer has some type of um, disability, and they found the joke to be so offensive. He was sued, and he that he ended up again. He was convicted, and he's supposed to pay um, thirty five thousand dollars damages yeah. for a joke. Yeah. And so right. we're living in a time where, I mean, the only reason I think we haven't seen this in the United States yet is because we uh, are unique in that we have a First Amendment. However, I do believe the people who believe what I used to believe, the people who are pushing that ideology in the name of safety and no harm and supposedly empathy, um, the ultimate end goal of that ideology is to codify that into law. I mean, they would be more than happy for us to have the same restrictions here. They would be happy to throw people in jail the way Lenny Bruce used to be thrown in jail. And absolutely, we can see that last year, this to me encapsulates everything. So last year, this tells you what's going on at college campuses and then at what's happening at college campuses is now leaking out into the mainstream. But uh, Brandeis University banned a play about Lenny Bruce banned a play about Lenny Bruce right. Brandeis, which also has yep. a history of being, uh, who, who's it's named after Supreme court justice. It's all about free speech. They, they mm -hmm. banned a Lenny Bruce. If you were to tell Lenny Bruce, Hey, you know, in the future, it's going to be the left who's censoring you. I, I can't right. even imagine that somebody would believe that could, that could become true. Uh, but that's where we're at now. It's considered, Oh, it's too harmful. The themes of this play might offend some students. We have to protect them from it. Um, so I think that's really crazy. Okay, but to get back to Owen Benjamin quickly. Yes, he is a comedian who was uh, on the national stage. He was hosting award shows. Um, I wasn't that familiar with him before, but he, you know, he was on his way up to being a household name, most likely. And then he had a couple of Amazon Prime like yeah. specials and stuff out. Yeah. Yeah, and you can find him now uh, on hugepianist.com. He plays the piano, hugepianist.com. Um, but he was, he. you can't, I say that because it's he's still on YouTube and you can find him there, but pretty soon he's probably going to be kicked off. As you've noticed, they they keep pushing um, the goalposts on who they're blocking from all the social media platforms. They just kicked Sargon of, of Akkad off, I think. They, they kicked uh, Sargon off of YouTube? He's gone. Oh. Yeah. Uh, wow. They kicked... Um, uh, uh, they kicked Owen off of Twitter before they kicked Alex Jones off, like before it was cool. <laughs> so, before it was cool. Yeah, he was banned. And the reason he was banned, um, well, he was just, he, he refuses to live by these speech codes. And so, so a lot of comedians I used to know before they all started going through this change, this SJW change, it's like if you told a comedian that they couldn't say something, that something was off limits, and I had com comedians I worked with who used to tell me this. It's like, uh, well, as they're on stage, that's going through their head. Of course, they're going to say that. If, if The one way to get them right. to say something you don't want them to say is to tell them they can't say it. And right. But now a lot of them seem to be operating with this SJW critic in their head who's telling them, no, don't say that. And they're like evaluating their jokes before they put it out into the world. And um, 
And he refuses to do that. I, as far as I can tell, he's just doing what comics have always done, which is like, oh, you're telling me I can't say these words and I'm going to say these words. Um, yep. And so uh, he lost, he ended up, he got kicked off of Twitter. He lost his agent at CAA. He lost his manager all because he got into a Twitter spat with um, uh, a guy in the comedy community who does a lot of podcasting. But a lot of my clients used to be on his shows. Um, and this guy has a son who's, I believe at the time, and again, this is just my memory. I should go back and look at it, but was two years old, three years old, who who decided that he was a girl at two, and had he had started calling the, his child his daughter and dressing his child like a girl, and and um, basically he, he did some interviews and stuff about his trans daughter, and Owen Benjamin got into a spat with him because he admitted that he was going to start putting his kid on uh, hormone blockers soon which yep. hormone blockers can among other things they can potentially sterilize you i mean it's just to do that to a child when they don't have i understand exactly why owen was sort of like hey wait a minute where are we going with this and um but that's considered yeah. yeah that's transphobic you can't question that anymore you can't question if if it's ethical or if it's moral or if it's in the child's best interest to um medically or surgically intervene before they're 18 uh, because of something they tell you that they believe they are. And so he lost you know, all of his representation. <laughs> yeah. You're just reminding me of something that I, I did. There was a little Twitter spat I saw the other day, which um, just blew my mind that this was the argument that I saw someone making. Um, you're reminding me of it. They were saying, I think it was about someone who's like eight or nine. And it was a similar, um, you know, put them on hormones kind of discussion about this kid who, um, felt like they identified as a, as the opposite sex and the the argument was well the, the child has consented so someone said well it's child abuse blah 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 and they said well the child has consented and um it's really it's really weird to me that we have this idea that an eight or nine year old can consent if you uh i mean i don't want to bring up anything gross but i'm gonna uh if you have consensual sex with a 10 year old that's rape that's statutory mm -hmm. rape, and it's rape because they can't consent. And we recognize in society that kids can't consent. So this idea that like a kid can consent to medical procedures um, like that is is absolutely horrific. And it's clear that they don't care about the children at all. They just care about their agenda, and they love the idea that an eight-year-old would decide to transition. They just, they're just, they, they have a fetish about this idea that eight-year-olds, you know, know what gender they want to be and they're going to transition and, and we should allow that. But really it is child abuse. They can't consent. They can't possibly have informed consent um, at that age. And I'm not against adults doing it, but right. uh, it's, it's really horrible. Right. I mean, my position on that, not to get too far afield of comedy, but I actually have met, um, I've met some trans trans kids or pa and parents of trans kids. Um, and I can't imagine being in that position. First of all, I can't imagine being a parent. Let's I'll just fess up. I'm not even responsible enough to be a parent. <laughs> yes, you are. Yes, not you are. yet. <laughs> but, uh, but to be, I, I can't imagine being in that position and I don't know what I would do. And I actually, I do think there's a difference between, um, 
the small statistical percentage of kids who have identified, who, who have actual like gender dysphoria and who've dealt with this from a very young age, the literature shows, so two and three is not that unusual to have, especially male children saying that they're girls. But what's different now is that the whole medical position in the medical community has changed in the past five or six years, the same way it has in comedy. Everything's changed. It's changing everywhere. This ideology is infiltrating everything. And so now um, like the top, doctors in the field who used to work with all these kids with gender dysphoria are now completely shunned and blacklisted and even documentaries about them are banned in the US you know it's like so the 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 instead of like talking through this with kids with actual dysphoria where they found that a, a large percentage of them ended up um being okay with their uh, biological sex and not wanting to transition um now that they just immediately are like Let's go this route. Let's let's ver let's validate what your kid is saying. Let's put your kid on drugs. You know, it's it's they don't um, they don't offer any other way. It's a very closed-minded way of looking at it. And then on top of that, there's a difference between those that very small percentage of kids, and then this large group of kids that are now saying they're trans, which are being called trans trenders because it's in the news and because they're they're being forced to grapple with it. And they're suddenly it's like you know this is a a this is a decision that kids never had to grapple with before 99.9% .9 of kids. And now you're like, you better decide four year old. Like, are you, are you trans or cis? Like what? Like it makes about as much sense as asking them if they're gay or straight at like three, do you know? It's like, doesn't, oh, it's, they, they yeah. shouldn't have it, to make ridiculous. that. It's not a decision that most people have to make. Um, yeah. Anyway, I'm sorry. I'm getting, <laughs> I'm no, you are, you're getting off topic. So I'm going to pull sorry. you back in. Okay. One of the things that started this show today or that, that uh, <laughs> inspired this show today was Konstantin Kiesin's, uh, okay. he, he was a comedian. He was asked to sign an agreement. Carrie, pull it up and tell us, because I know mm. you've got it in front of you. Um, oh. He was, a, well, he was going to perform and they, they stuck an agreement in front of him before he got on stage. Agreement. Now, and first of all, I've seen, I had someone saying to me before this happened this week, we were talking about uh, comedy and I think we were talking about what happened to Nimesh Patel, which we can also get into. And one of my friends said, oh, pretty soon they're going to be asking comedians to sign agreements so they can look over their set and pull out oh, everything that's problematic. That. And I was, I know. And I was like, no, but, but dude, this has been happening for 10 years at least. I mean, I had this same kind of stuff happening with comedians, with LGBT uh, Q, A, A, I, whatever, IP plus, we had the same kind of stuff happening where you have comedians who are in support of the ideology, who are LGBT positive, who are then being asked by LGBT groups to submit their entire set so they can take out any problematic words or concepts. That was, I was talking as a manager to uh, colleges and to uh, different interest groups, nonprofits and stuff with this about the same stuff. So this has been happening for a while. The difference is it was never so explicit. Like now it's gotten almost hilarious because it's in this little agreement. I'll read to you this comedy night, comedy night organized by blank society aims to wait, provide wait, just a safe set context. So this is an agreement that they gave a comedian and said, please sign this before you come on stage. So, okay. Right. You, you can't perform until you sign this. Right. Um, so, okay, go. Okay. We aim to provide a safe space for everyone to come together and share and listen to comedy. <laughs> With also all proceeds donated to UNICEF. This is a chance to be entertained and overjoyed by the different performances here on this day. Da, 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 da. 
Hence the importance of this contract. The contract has been written to ensure an environment where joy, love, and acceptance is reciprocated by all. By signing this contract, you are agreeing to our no tolerance policy with regards to racism, sexism, classism, ageism, ableism, homophobia, biphobia, transphobia, xenophobia, Islamophobia, or anti-religion or anti-atheism. All topics must be presented in a way that is respectful and kind. It does not mean that these topics cannot be discussed, but it must be done in a respectful and non-abusive way. Um, this comedian, again, you guys can find him on Twitter. His name is Constantin Kissin, and I hadn't heard of him before this, but I saw his comedy bit about this, and it was hilarious. Uh, he ended up not signing this, of course, but a lot of people do because, uh, you know, a lot of people, this, from what I understand, wasn't even a paid gig. That's even funnier. But if it's a paid gig and you want to be able to play, I can understand why some people are like, okay, I guess I'll go in there. But in the past, they wouldn't have. So, so one of the comics I was talking about, so I used to represent Margaret Cho. I had LGBT groups who were sending me, you know, we want to see her set ahead of time so we can take out anything that's problem problematic. Well, Margaret had the clout at the time for us to be able to say no. Like, well, then we're not going to do this show. Like that, that, and I even had to explain to them and they wanted to talk to her personally and to go over. I'm like, no, no, you're not going to sit down with her on a conference call and pick out, you know, you can't do, say this or that. Um, but she had the clout to be able for us to be able to say, no, we're not going to do the show and still get to do it. A lot of comedians, if they're just starting out or um, if they really need the money, it's like you're putting them in a weird position where you're telling them not to do what their, what their job is. <laughs> right. Right. And, 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 and it's uh and it really requires you and I talked about this, but part of uh, part of being a comedian is being able to kind of turn off that filter in your brain that like you'll have thoughts about things and you'll you'll filter them out because you know like oh that's inappropriate or oh no that's wrong or whatever but part of being a comedian is being able to experiment and kind of turn that off and you know let yourself uh kind of free associate in some way mm -hmm. and sometimes you hit on things that are funny and if you're a really good comedian you can kind of free associate live on stage and interact with your audience and sometimes what you might say is offensive but uh it's usually if you're good it's usually also also funny and it's you're asking them to like embed that sensor back into their brain which really destroys your ability to be creative and think generally if you've got a constant you know, Jiminy Cricket in your head, like, don't say that. What about that? What could this be taken it, the wrong way? What, you know, blah, blah, blah. I know you mean this, but what about that? And what if someone's offended? Um, it really stifles creativity uh, on a fundamental level, I think. It's comedy by committee, which is not funny. Which is not funny, right. Uh, and, and yeah, it's, no, and no good art is done by committee. But no, yeah. but, yeah, no good art's done by committee. And it's just, uh, it's so humorless. Like, it's like, it has to have this stamp of approval. And and so to bring us to Namesh Patel, which also happened this week or the past week. So this guy gets hired, like a lot of comics do. Okay, So this is something I used to do, by the way. Let me back up. So I was not really in the system. Like, I wasn't one of the boys club or whatever. I just wasn't like a standard entertainment industry person. The Like I said, I, I, I got into it because I wanted to push my belief system and I worked with comics who I felt like were, for the most part, um, dealing with these issues in their comedy. So racism, sexism, homophobia, you know, combating all these things in an intersectional way. It sounds like so much fun, but so <laughs> that, that's what I was yeah, doing. Yeah, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> and so um, I was really good at working with nonprofits, that's, that's where I kind of, I would partner my comedians with different 
social justice groups and organizations and it's like a win-win for the comedian and the group and so you have the comedian promoting the organization you have the organization selling tickets for you and doing group buys and doing add-ons and vip meet and greets and whatever and so and then it's especially at colleges you know you can get the lgbt group and so so a lot of times the entertainment budget at colleges is pretty small but if you can get the entertainment budget and the women's studies funding and the Asian American group or the LGBT group or the um, Black Lives Matter group or whoever's on campus, you get all these um, SJW groups to come together and pull their money and you can make a lot for if you're hitting on all these topics. And so you mentioned Jerry Seinfeld, he and um, Chris Rock a few years ago that both of them said in separate interviews or something that they had quit doing colleges because they had become so PC. And the audience was audiences were responding differently, and so it's not just the it's not just the uh, the bureaucrats and these Orwellian sounding offices of diversity and inclusion. It's the students now. The students are they yeah. don't want to hear anything that's upsetting. They demand these safety you know safe spaces and and trigger warnings. And you know it's the students who banned the Lenny Bruce play. And so this Namesh Patel student group brought him in like an Asian American you know, racial diversity group or something brought him in. Um, he did a joke, which if you go and read it, it was SJW compliant. <laughs> it wasn't even, <laughs> it wasn't even against the ideology. His joke was about intersectionality and intersectional oppressions. And he basically, uh, he's an Indian guy. He made a joke about how the reason why you can tell that being uh, uh, black and gay is not a choice is because who, who goes through life as a black person, like facing racism and then says, let's add some homophobia on top of that. Right. Like that, right. his whole joke is that it's about racism and homophobia and multiple intersections. It's that whole SJW kit and caboodle and they didn't like it and they yanked him off stage. And so, yeah, they actually took him off stage, off not stage. just like yelled later. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think it's progressed even past where it was five years ago, because now that kind of joke five years ago would have been applauded. Oh, he's so smart and brilliant. And he's, he's teaching us about intersectionality through his comedy. But now there's this idea. It's, it's gone even further where this whole collectivism idea, you're not allowed to speak for anyone, for anyone that doesn't, or even to speak about anyone that doesn't look exactly like you. And so if he had been a black gay comedian, it would have been fine. But because he's right. a straight Indian guy, they're like, stay in your lane. That's what they mean by stay in your lane. You're not allowed to speak to this joke. You know, it's because of the different uh, oppressions and whatever, like you're, you're not on the same level. You can't make this joke. That's ridiculous. Um, yeah. It, and it's the students who yanked him. So that's so let's so let this is this is good because I want to get into the culture and the philosophy behind this because like you said it's not that there are just a few authoritarians at the top with some rules and they're they're the problem it's a cultural problem mm -hmm. um and so I I did a little bit of looking up because I I kind of you know I'm sure a lot of people have thought of this before but like gee what makes something funny what is comedy um and you know there's not consensus there's a there's a few theories but. Um, I want to talk about two that I that I ran across um, because oddly one of them was very kind of mainstream. It was uh, uh, from Social Psych Online, and it talks about this theory developed by a guy named Peter McGraw. And his theory of the psychology of humor is is uh, basically it it's it things are funny when two conditions are met. One, they violate violate the way we think about how the world should work, the way we think the world should work. And two, um, it does that in a way that's non-threatening, right? So 
uh, this is kind of the theory. And so they say like the first part, you know, if you talk about violation, um, it's like, oh, this is how we, you know, there's norms for appropriate behavior and beliefs about how things work. And when you violate them, you know, that's one criteria. Um, but of course you can violate them by like being a terrorist and that's not funny. Um, so it has to also be uh, a benign, what they're calling a benign violation, like something that doesn't really matter in the scheme of things. And I thought this was really interesting because um, there's a, it's a kind of less philosophical version of humor that um, I, I, I often, I'll admit, I often go look at what Ayn Rand said about stuff. I don't always think she's correct or complete about a subject. Um, and, and humor is a subject I don't think she treated like, I don't think she really completed any I think she could have done a lot more work if she cared. Uh, so I, I don't I don't think she's the Bible on humor. But she had a, a very interesting... Um, her description was... And I, I really like her description just philosophically. She says, Humor is the denial of metaphysical importance to that which you laugh at. Which is kind of the same thing as what Peter McGraw is saying. So she's... And she says, like, the classic example here is you see a very snooty, well, very well-dressed dowager walking down the street, and then she slips on a banana peel. What's funny about it? It's the contrast of the woman's pretensions to reality, right? She acted very grand, but in reality, reality undercut her with something as plain as a banana peel, mm -hmm. right? And that's the denial of the metaphysical validity or importance of the pretensions of that woman. And, and humor is fundamentally, she said, humor is fundamentally a destructive element, Right. And I think that actually ties well with this um, <clears throat> this Peter McGraw formulation of it's 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 destructive in that it's violating something, but it's got to be benign, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's got to be it's got to be this benign violation. And uh, if we think about humor in that way, I think it at least for me it was easier to see why SJWs were getting so upset about some of the humor that we've seen them get so upset about. Um, and so, like, let's just take the PewDiePie or Count Dankula, like, examples, right? Um, okay, well, both of them are making fun of Nazis, right? Like, they're both, it's, it's kind of like funny Nazi thing, right? Mm -hmm. And both of them, you could say they're denying the medical and their metaphysical importance of of Nazism, right? And they're and they're violating the way that we think the world should work. Like cute little pugs shouldn't be Nazis, right? But it's benign, right? It's mm -hmm. a stupid pug doing a. It's like a. It's a benign thing. He's not actually gassing people and like invading France. He's a pug, you know, reflexively raising a paw. Mm -hmm. And it's this mixture of. Uh, kind of like violating what we think is right and doing it in a benign way. But to SJWs, there is nothing benign. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so, like, it's the same kind of like, it's the same mentality, right? That's like, oh, you're on, you're, you're, you're a guy and your knees are too far apart on the bus. You're man spreading. That's not like, that's a microaggression. Yes. Nothing is benign. There is no like, because they out with your legs open, right? You are so right. Because they look, they look, they view the whole world through this lens, this ideological lens. It's like they put on their oppression glasses 
and everything is viewed through these glasses is like they can't see you're you're so right i hadn't thought of it that way but there's nothing benign there's always race there's always racism or sexism to be found in it like if you're looking especially the ones who make a living off of it they have to find it everywhere you know their weekly columns depend on it or whatever like it's yeah that's really funny right? so they they and and they're very you know oppressions to them like a victimization and oppression they're critically important things right mm -hmm. um and i think to normal people who have more of like a benevolent universe perspective right victimization and oppression are things that like can happen but they don't they don't ultimately matter like on a day-to-day -day basis they don't matter to most of us because most of us aren't fundamentally victims right like a normal person doesn't fundamentally think that they're mostly a victim and that everyone around them is like there's like massive victimization and oppression happening all the time and it's critically important a normal person's like yeah sometimes people are jerks to other people and there's some it's a little bit of impression but it's oppression but it's really not uh it's not so crucial and critical um right. but uh yeah by the way uh, I agree. Tim just said he's got to be honest. He, of all the names he did not expect to hear in a discussion of what's funny, Ayn Rand will be at the top of his list. Uh, <laughs> I, I do agree with Tim. I, I did. <laughs> I just reflexively looked up what she said about humor, and I was like, "Oh, actually, that's a that actually is an interesting formulation." Uh, I, she said some other stuff that I didn't agree with, but um, oh, oh, this is the first time I've been able to see the chat. Look at this. Um, oh, well, see, there okay, you go. so someone corrected us. It wasn't Sargon didn't get kicked off YouTube yet. He was kicked off of Patreon. Right. Right. So I, I want to talk about, uh, I actually wanted to, I'm going to tell two horrible, horrible jokes that I don't think are appropriate. Okay. Um, but I, I want to do it because you can, we had put a big graphic in that says trigger warning. I'm kidding. I, yeah, we, I should, <laughs> I should have prepared a trigger warning graphic to splash across the screen. Um, but the reason I want to talk about this is, you know, as I started to think about this formulation of like, um, denying medical metaphysical importance or like violation of you know your concepts in a benign way, it really tied in with how I, I you know I have a I have a daughter and obviously I was a kid once we we're all kids once, and kids tend to I, I watch kids like how they experiment with jokes, right? And it's very clear that as a kid, you get that the um, violation is an is an aspect of it right? It's why kids think like fart jokes or just saying like the word poop or something is like, oh, that's who we're not supposed to say it. It's taboo. They get that violation of, of kind of the, of norms is part of a joke. But what kids don't necessarily understand is what's benign and what's not benign. And so, um, often with younger kids, you'll, you'll run into them making jokes where, um, it's the parent's job to say, whoa, 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 actually, like, that's not, that's not okay, right? And I thought of two examples from my own childhood. Um, when I grew up, and I'm, you know, <clears throat> a few years old, uh, I'm, I'm, I, I grew up in, in the 80s, and the, the Challenger explosion happened, um, and there was a woman, uh, the kind of, the celebrity, uh, she was a teacher, and um, she was, I think going to be the first civilian in space. She was going to go up and, and do these lessons. And so everyone in school was watching to see this teacher go up um, to space. And of course the challenger blew up and she died. And, uh, and after that, I remember there was a joke going around 
And um, and I remember sitting in the backseat of a car and someone telling this joke. And I remember a parent saying that it was inappropriate. And the joke was, what color are Krista McAuliffe's eyes? And the, the punchline was blue, one blue this way and one blue that way. And they and there was a couple of kids in the back and they were like, hee, 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 hee. And the parent was like, you know, that's not appropriate, right? It's not appropriate. She's like, first of all, this like happened recently. Um, and there's like still an open wound. Wait, this is the whole concept of like it's too soon, too soon. right? And second, it's not funny to make some fun of like someone's death. Like that's not that's not funny, right? Like she was a uh, not a bad person. Not like you're making fun of Hitler's death, right? She's a she's a, a good person, presumably, and she's a family and friends, and it's still very open wound. And like you don't that that's inappropriate. But kids got that it was like they knew that it was a violation of something, which is why. It was like, oh, it's it's going against something. So that maybe that's funny. And they would kind of say it and giggle. But then, you know, it was the parents' job to kind of correct and say, oh, that's not benign. Right. And another example um, was I, I remember this joke when I was young as well. And I, I also remember that get that getting corrected um, by, a, by a parent. And uh, what was the joke? It was. Um, so at the time, Ethiopia was very uh, was like the example of a, a a nation with lots of starving people in it. Where people were very uh, uh, it, it, the Ethiopians were on the news all the time, and it was a it was a big deal. And um, there was a joke about like, what do you call an Ethiopian with a sesame seed on his head, right? And kids would say a quarter pounder, and like that was like a funny thing because they were so like slight and dying. And again, this is like elementary school level kids who are like, they understand that there's like something that's taboo about that and there's a violation. But again, a parent, a parent overheard that joke. I remember this as well. I was at a table at a friend's house and the parent overheard that joke. And uh, was like, you can't like, no, like it's not, that's not funny. It's not appropriate to make fun of people starving. Like that's a tragedy. It's a sad thing. You don't make fun of people starving like that and blah, blah, blah. And so the reason I'm telling these two you know, jokes is that I, I realize that part of a parent's responsibility is really helping a child figure out like what's benign and what's not benign. Mm -hmm. And SJWs, because they are such control freaks, I mean, at their fundamental core, SJWs are authoritarians, which means uh, they want to be your authoritarian parent over everything. And they are basically just telling you nothing is benign. Nothing in these categories are benign. Right. Yeah. And that's why, you know, they're, that's why they're, uh, a lot of com comedians are feeling like really, uh, really oppressed here and censored because things that actually are benign for normal people are, are not benign. And there are some things that aren't benign. And it's not, that's why we have things like it's too soon to tell a joke about X, Y, or Z subject, right? Because it's not benign. It's still kind of relevant. Um, so anyway, I, I don't know what you think of that, but that was kind of my thought process about like this, this kind of combination of violation of reality or, you know, expectations plus benign and how, how, how that relates to SJWs. No, I, uh, what do you think, Carrie? <laughs> I, I agree. Well, I think, um, your sense of humor changes also with age and with wisdom and with kids, it's obviously going to be more of, you know, uh, scatological or just you know slapstick or just really offensive like you said because they're 
trying to figure out what is benign, what's not. And they're looking to parents or they're looking to adults for guidance sometimes. Like they're testing the boundaries just like they do with everything like kids do. Um, but even as adults, I mean, that's what comedians do is they test the boundaries. They, you know, when you say they, he went there, or they go there, you know, it's like they, um, they sometimes it's funny because they're saying what you may be thinking or maybe haven't thought, but in the back, it makes sense once you hear it vocalized and you're laughing because it's so taboo. I mean, a lot of times they're, they're voicing the taboo. They're pushing, um, they're, they're transgressing in a way. And so you are right though. I believe in that they don't SJWs don't have a sense of humor because they don't see anything as benign. Uh, be, and they, they, they're, I, I would say the SJW humor has become more of like a moralizing and preaching. This is why on all the late night shows there, I think it was Morgan Murphy who first called it clapter. Maybe I'm wrong, but uh, it's, it's, they're not laughing as much as they are clapping. It's almost like they're hearing a sermon. They're at church and this has become the norm on the shows. I mean, a little bit more about my personal background. Um, see the, I, I'm, we may differ on this in terms of how things change because I'm coming from my own personal experience having like where I saw, I would say the late night sh shows were always, have always leaned liberal, have always leaned left, but they weren't explicitly S SJW until the past few years, in my opinion. Um, I don't think I, SJW is left by the ways, but that's a separate topic. That's a separate but I, thing. I think we should stop calling them liberal because they are not liberal. Well, they're not liberal, but they are on the left. I would say they're not liberal. Though. Not there. Right. We, we agree that we agree that they're not liberal. Um, but so the SJW, so I, I executive produced and had a client who was a host of what I consider to be the, one of the first SJW late night shows um, called totally bias on, on FX a few years ago. And at the time I was still, this was before my waking up or what have you. And I was so proud of it because I felt like now on national TV, we're changing minds, you know, but it was so in retrospect, um, I understand now a lot of the criticism about the show and that it was just preachy. I mean, we had segments about where we brought on uh, people who were heroes to me. Like I never really cared about celebrities so much, but I, I looked up to like these different like feminist leaders or people like third wave feminists. And so like Lindy West, who's, who writes for the, I think she writes for the guardian and stuff now. And she writes a lot about what we talked about uh, last week about, uh, she writes a lot about, weightism and fat phobia and all that stuff and um and sexism and she's one of these people i would say is a professional sjw and i was so excited because we had her on and we were debating whether or not you can tell jokes about rape we had her on with jim norton and they were debating and at the time of course i'm squarely in her camp and um now i look back on it and i'm like you know it's there is so much nuance around it, it back then it was like well you you, I, I was kind of thinking, well, you know, you're not like, like the person, the people who yanked Namesh Patel off stage. I'm like, well, if you're a man, you probably shouldn't even talk about rape. Of course you can make a joke about rape. It doesn't, you're M biological. Men get raped more than women, but we don't talk about that because it's wow. in prison, but that's a separate issue. Well, that's a great point. And um, there's nothing about uh, your, your race or your biological sex or your experience that makes a topic off limits. It just doesn't. And that's the authoritarian right. nature of the ideology. Like you said, they want to control who can say what? The the best way to control people is to control language. This is why they redefine words that we've talked about before. Um, they make up new words. They have an entirely new lexicon. And then they tr try and control what you can or can't say based on what you look like, um, it, it, what groups you belong to. It's ridiculous. And so, but anyway, after that show, I started seeing a lot of, um, so like in, in the entertainment industry, they do things in like trends. And so, 
for a while, I don't know if you noticed, it's like everybody's buying like Anthony Bourdain style shows where there's like someone out on the road and you know, I ended up selling a show like that. Um, but where someone's out on the road and they're, it's, it's like Anthony Bourdain, except it's a, you know, comedian or it's whatever. And right. then, and then all of a sudden they're not, then it's like no more Anthony Bourdain pitches. <laughs> but for a while, that's what everyone's hearing all the different networks. Right. And yep, so after yep. that show, I feel like there was that movement for a while. Where it's like, okay, now everybody pitched their SJW comedy shows. And so I had a pilot that we sold to another network that was explicitly SJW. It was in competition against a lot of other SJW comedy pilots. Um, the the it became the norm kind of i saw comedians who i had never seen doing that kind of comedy before suddenly doing that kind of comedy and it just was it's like why are you doing this um but doesn't it doesn't is it to get the tv show is it because you are now a believer and that you caught it because sometimes i mean you maybe you caught it and you're a true believer now but to see people like jim jeffries like suddenly being woke or um uh, I mean, even Moshe Kasher is hilarious, but I was like, what is this problematic thing? Like, why, why that word is, I just hate that word now so much. <laughs> anyway, but, but suddenly it just, the trend was like, okay, SJW. And then you see like Samantha B who's hilarious and now she's not funny anymore. And the only no, thing. No, she that, hasn't been funny for a while. I used to think she was so funny though. And now um, uh, she, the only, it seems like the only things you can make fun of that they're totally cool with, of course, are Trump bashing. I mean, any any kind of Trump bashing sure. joke. And you can also, uh -huh. they also, just like they do in other ways, they now like very boldly and nakedly break their own rules if it's in the service of attacking someone who doesn't subscribe to their ideology. So that's why you see Samantha B calling Ivanka Trump a cunt, you know, because normally that wouldn't be allowed. And actually, like I, I remember one of my comics was criticized. The feminist comic was criticized, maybe 2010 or nine or something, not that long ago, for for calling Sarah Palin that word, and right. and I ended up taking that joke out of her special before it was released because I was such a believer and I was like, no, we can't. It's you know, and you can't call someone. It doesn't matter if they're on the right. Well, now it does. Now it now now they don't. It's like the feminists and the SJWs right. have totally discarded that. They're complete hypocrites now. Oh yes, we can call someone these words that we wouldn't. We can make fun of Sarah Huckabee Sanders looks because she's on the right. We can make fun of Laura Loomer in the way she looks because she's on the right. Like they break all of their own rules. Um yep. I'm Absolutely. on another rant. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, it's good. I, I, I agree with you. And I, and I, you know, um, Tim in the chat actually said, uh, he misses the days when a joke could just bomb and that would be the end of it. And I think, um, <laughs> I, I, I agree with him. And actually it reminds me of something that you and I talked about, I think yesterday, which was, um, you know, in my younger, you know, 20 years ago, over maybe 25 years ago now, um, I was, uh, I was very conservative, uh, cause I grew up in a, a very conservative household and, um, and I remember going to to comedian uh, or comic shows and going to see comedians once in a while and or seeing them on television. And I remember being offended sometimes at like 30 percent, 50 percent of what they were saying. Like I was just like, oh, I can't believe I can't believe they would say that. That's very <laughs> right. But I would go anyway because the other half of the stuff they were saying was hilarious. And that's fine. Like it didn't I didn't have to like everything that they said and i could be offended but it, it wasn't like oh i don't think you know it wasn't like oh they should be deplatformed right even back then when i was you know i would say very you know very kind of religious right at the time uh you know even then i wasn't like oh they, they should be deplatformed because they said things that i'm offended by that going to a comedy show part of going to a comedy show used to be 
at least for me, and I think this is true for a lot of people, part of going to a comedy show used to be like this acknowledgement that like, okay, some stuff I might, I might get offended at some stuff, but I'm going to like loosen up and have a good time and trying to just like let go. If I'm offended by something, I'm just going to like let it go and move to the next joke and like try and roll with it because this is about fun and it's about making me laugh. And you know what? Sometimes they're going to step in, step in something I don't like, or they're going to tell a joke that bombs or and they're going to say something that offends my religious sensibilities yeah. and like, okay. Um, but we're not, and you know, I think that's what kind of Tim is referring to, where he's just like, oh, you, you try a joke, it didn't work. Maybe it was too soon. Maybe there's, you, you know, it's an audience full of Mormons, and you cracked a joke about Joseph Smith or whatever it was. Like, okay, it doesn't work. You move on. It's not the end of the world. But now it's, uh, it's like the audience has this expectation that you must not ever misstep and i don't think you can be a comedian without being willing to misstep you got to be willing to bomb and yes. screw up in order to get to the good stuff and that's how you get better that's with anything in life not just comedy it's like you right. have to be willing and able to fail multiple times in order to succeed because you have to take those risks and of course you have to do that in comedy and and uh this whole thing about like kevin hart apologizing and i made a list because i just off the top of my head i was trying to think about how when this started and how many comedians started doing this and the apology tours they go on it's like at first kevin hart didn't apologize he did an instagram video of like this those comments are like eight years ago i've addressed them multiple times like move on but then he ended up yeah I, I mean i don't think comedians should ever apologize if they said something that was supposed to be funny exactly but unless here's here's my caveat to that we've all been wrong before and we've changed our opinions i mean I'm a walking example of that. I changed my entire worldview. It took a while, but it's, and it's still evolving, but um, I can look back and say, oh, I regret having said such and such. And, and but here, don't apologize unless it's true. Like don't do an apology to appease a mob. Don't do a fake apology. That's what kills me. It's like all these people doing fake apologies because it's to save their career or to, because their agent told them to, or their manager told them to, or it's, it's, it's fake. It doesn't mean anything. Yeah, it's but again, I, I even even so, I would say you still shouldn't apologize. If you were a comedian and you were saying something with the intent to make people laugh, then I don't think that you should apologize. Even if you think later that that was inappropriate. It's right. Like, yeah. I wouldn't make that joke now, but I'm not sorry because my intent wasn't bad. I was just trying to make people laugh. And, and within the context of my knowledge at the time. That was a that was a an honest, good natured attempt to make people laugh. Okay, for the, for right. The most like, part, I think I agree with you. I just want to leave some room there because I have, I do believe in like a really sincere apology. Uh, for the most part, I agree with you though. If your intent was not bad, like that's the thing they say. SJWs say intent doesn't matter. So if you right. say, oh, uh, if if they're like, hey, you offended me, and you say, well, I didn't mean to, and they're like, intent doesn't matter. Like intent that right. you well, so, offense doesn't matter either. That's the dirty right. little secret. But uh, and so again, this is that external thing. They're putting the responsibility for their feelings, their emotions on an outside person. Right. Like you caused them harm. They hate up. They hate apology. SJWs don't like it. Um, they consider the, the if you say I'm sorry, you feel bad. They're like ah oh, ah. Oh, it's not about how I feel. It's about what you did. Like you have to say I'm sorry. I right. did this that made you feel bad. Right. I don't, right. I don't abide by that anymore. It's like everybody's right. responsible for their own feelings and emotions. And, um, you know, if, if I do apologize now, it's like, I'm sorry you feel that way. But, uh, and if, if, but if I did something wrong, I, I, 
I definitely want to make this this difference of opinion with you, Carter, because I, I do believe in the power of being like an honest apology. What I think is that these things are not honest. And that's what really bothers me about them. It's just the force of the mob. They're like, this is what will stop the mob. And as we know, don't apologize to a mob. It never no, works. It never appeases them. No. Then they just go for more scalps. And, the, and yeah. they basically say, like, if you apologize, then they're like, see, we were right. You are racist or you are a homophobe. Right. right. Well, look, I mean, there's probably some exceptions to what I was saying, but, uh, you know, as with anything, not just comedy, and especially when we do live shows like this, I, I think it's important to be able to kind of work out your thought process and just say things and like, yeah, I said no comic should ever apologize. There's probably exceptions, <laughs> but in general, that's true. Like, in general, that's true. There's probably, you could probably come up with some weird exception where, you know, they should apologize because they were... Nazis. Nazis would probably be involved. Um, in You're going to be apologizing for this next week. I'm joking. Uh, but I'm not. I, yeah. But th <laughs> that's the thing. There's a difference between saying I wouldn't make that joke now because my worldview has changed and saying right. I'm sorry that I made it at the time because jokes, you know, unless jokes, like jokes shouldn't be doing real damage. I guess the, the exception I could see was with like, if you were telling jokes that were like somehow, I'm not sure exactly how, but like somehow enabling like real, real damage to be done in some major way, then like, then I could see like, oh, I apologize because I was like enabling this. this but if it was just like some people got offended, it's like, yeah, I guess offended. I, you know, I wouldn't make that joke now. Sorry for my old beliefs, but I'm not like sorry for being myself at the time. Like, it, you know, okay. Well, I, that's I, at the I, heart of their belief system too, is they, I mean, they believe and they say one of their slogans is words or violence, like words are harmful. They have, you know, and so they, that they view this as equivalent with, if you make a joke that offends someone, it's the equivalent of punching them. Really? No, it's not. It's why can't we get back to it's, it seems so simple, but you know, we used to teach kids sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And now it's like, words are so harmful. Let's create fallout shelters for. Right. But sticks and stones are just free speech. If you're Antifa. Right. Um, so I, Look, we're we're getting to the close to the end, and I, there's a couple things I want to bring up because um, you really liked these two things when I <laughs> talked about them before. Actually, maybe I only talked about one. Uh, social justice warriors are authoritarians. They are not liberals. They are authoritarians, uh, and I think there's less difference between SJWs and Nazis than uh, I, I mean, other than the swastika and a few other things, and like the. Uh, there's not a lot of difference between SJWs and Nazis in 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 the kind of fundamental sense of of how they view the world, which is they believe that they have the right answers and they should uh, use force to create the world in their image in the image that they want and everyone else's freedoms be damned. And just to give you some examples of of how humor is is dealt with. In the Nazi regime in 1934, they passed the malicious gossip law in which telling an anti-Nazi joke was a crime leading to <laughs> fine or imprisonment. That's how it goes. That's that's humor is something that authoritarian regimes go after. Another example. By the way, since, wait, um, can I interrupt real quick? Telling yeah. an anti-Nazi joke got you imprisoned. Was that it? So that this is really funny because so Count, Count Bankula, it's, it's the same. It's the same. And actually, if you think about it, his joke, it, it doesn't even make any sense what they were prosecuting him for because he said... I turned the dog into the worst thing I can imagine, which is a Nazi. That's anti-Nazi. And you're comparing yes. a, do a, a dog to Hitler. <laughs> you're comparing Hitler yeah. to a dog. 
<laughs> That's yeah. an anti-Nazi no, joke. It was totally anti-Nazi. I mean, in fact, that was the point because pugs are recognized as super cute, right? Yeah. So it was like, I'm going to take this super cute thing and inject him with the most evil behavior I could think right. of. Right, right. Right? Um, so yeah, so actually, so Jason brings up the USSR, which was my next gonna, uh, one. He uh, he says he thinks it was a clown who was one of the first dissidents to be executed by Lenin's secret police. I didn't know that, but that's probably true. Um, but I do have I do have some information from Yakov Smirnov, uh, kind of famous Soviet uh, comic. Um, he's done interviews about this, and he says um, there was joke approval in the Soviet Union. So in all seriousness, there was a, um, a department of jokes. Let's see. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I swear to God, there was a, the ministry of culture and they had a department of jokes. It's like, and, it's like the ministry of truth from brave new world. Yes, ministry exactly. Right. Uh, and, and by the way, so, you know, uh, the, 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 um, the SJWs like to call Nazi Germany, uh, a thing on the right, which I think you can argue whether fascism was on the right or left, but it doesn't matter. The USSR is squarely in the, the commie camp. So let's take an example of of uh, of socialism taken to its extreme, which is the Soviet Union. So um, here we go. Uh, there was this Ministry of Culture, the Department of Jokes, and you were required to submit your material to the bar Department of Jokes. Um, and he says, let's see, they had a very big department of humor, he says. Uh, once a year, they censor your material, and then you have to stay with what you have approved. So you would send in your stuff, right? And every year they would, like, give you your approved, like, these are the things. Um, and you can't improvise. So you write out your material, you mail it to them, and they send it back to you with corrections. And after that, you have to stay with it for a year. You can't improvise or whatever. Like, that's your material. <laughs> And then after a year, you can like submit updated material. Um, so this uh, is what this is what that group wanted. They hired Namesh Patel. They wanted a puppet. They should just they should just institute the same. This they should have a they should get this agreement form. Flesh yeah, it out. Absolutely. So you know it's this is the mentality, and it's not just about a few uh, ruling elites that are passing these rules. This is the culture that's evolved, um, not just on college campuses. Uh, I think probably Silicon Valley generally uh, where I'm, I live is a, is a great example of, of a lot of that culture leaking into mainstream, but you know, we're, we're, we've got this culture where people believe that the jokes should be approved and you can't ever, if you ever make a misstep, right? One, one misstep or one offensive thing and that's it for you. Um, and it really does reek of Nazi Germany and, and the Stalin, Russia, right? the Soviet Union. Um, I don't. I don't really think there's. A, you know, one one of the things that makes you mentioned it earlier. One of the things that makes America unique is we do have the freedom of speech, and not only then, not just do we have the freedom of speech codified, but we had a had a culture where it was okay to be an offensive asshole on stage to a lot of people, and if your joke bombed, so what. Uh, you know, you moved on, there was this acceptance that you could say what you want. And some people were going to disagree with other people. And, um, you know, there's exceptions. I mean, you mentioned Lenny Bruce and, and there's obscenity laws and that's kind of thing that people have been prosecuted for. But culturally, there's kind of, there has, has been this acceptance that 
you know, you should have the freedom to do this stuff. And that is disappearing. And it's disappearing because we've got uh, social justice authoritarian ideology has kind of taken over um, at least at least colleges and and it's possibly, seeping, you know, it's seeping, yeah, seeping the mainstream. That's why you see it now affecting people like Kevin Hart. I mean, how much more mainstream can you get? And the Oscars I saw because Owen Benjamin said, you know, he was talking about a. Uh, he did a song or something. He was talking about Martin Luther King. He was doing a version of Martin Luther King's speech of like, I have a dream that one day a black man can make jokes about gay people and still host the Oscars like a white man could <laughs> if he made, because like Jimmy Kimmel's made gay, he's hosted the Oscars twice. You know what I mean? Like the double standard. I thought that was funny. And, but he said, you know, and still host an award show that's just meant to honor a bunch of demons. <laughs> Which is yeah. kind of what the entertainment industry, it's, it, you know, you're fighting to to present to this very, I've always, I don't know, always hated award shows. Um, so Wait, let's I see if I can something. share this. You wanted me to share a video. Let's see if I can, I'm going to try wait, wait, and share you, this. I don't know if it'll work. Before you share the video, you, you play around with it. Can I say one thing before I forget? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do your um, so a friend, we were talking about the uh, Nimesh thing a few days ago, and a friend asked me a question, which I thought it was a very good question. See, sometimes when somebody asks you something and you're immediately like, ah, you're wrong. And then and then if you take a step back and you think about what they're asking you, you can actually, or at least I can sometimes figure out, oh, they're helping me think through this more. Because I do initially like my guts to disagree with them, but then it's like, oh, well, how do I answer that question? And so this friend was saying, you know, how is this like the uh, the agreement form that we talked about that uh, Constantine Kissin posted? where you agreeing not to do any of this type of comedy. He's like, how's that any different than like a Christian group on campus hiring a Christian comedian and asking you not to swear or to say certain other things, right? And so here's, I did, I thought about it and I think there are two important distinctions and maybe you can tell me if these sound right or if I'm off base or if you can I don't think know, this is a great question. So I'm curious what, what your conclusion is, yeah. Yeah, well, so I, I think my conclusion is, um, that uh, one, this is happening. Um, well, okay. One that it's, it's not just one group on one college campus that this is the norm. This is happening on all, almost all college campuses now. And like I said, it's seeped into the mainstream. You don't see uh, Christianity having that kind of mainstream influence. Like, like I said, I could rattle off a list of comics who've apologized because they've offended the church of SJW. It's like Sarah Silverman, Bill Maher, Tracy Morgan, R Roseanne Bard, Norm MacDonald even apologized recently. Um, the, the, Tracy Morgan was 2011 was in the same situation Kevin Hart's in now in terms of having to apologize for homophobic jokes. Um, but I don't see, I don't see mainstream comedians out there on an apology tour because they offended Christians. It's just, it, so one big difference is the influence and the fact that this has become a mainstream belief system. Um, another big difference I would say is that the people who subscribe to SJW ideology, they don't realize they're subscribing to a belief system. They'll actually argue with me. No, it's not a belief system. This is the way the world is. This is the way the world is. I'm like, no, that's the way you believe it is. You are a part right. of a religion, whether you realize it or not. And, um, and it, you know, at least Christians realize this is my belief system. This is my religion. They, they, they're cognizant of it. Um, people who subscribe to SJW ideology, I think they're just like, this is the way the world is. And, and you're, you guys are all idiots if you don't get it. Um, and then the third difference I thought, oh gosh, what was the third one? Cause the third one was a big one. Um, uh, it'll, it'll come back to me, but yeah, the, 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 I guess the biggest one was just that it's not, you don't see it everywhere. It's not infiltrating everything and you don't yeah. see 
people bowing to like Christianity and making apologies for it the way it's just, it's just not the same thing. It's not on the same massive scale. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I would agree with you. And I think, um, it, you know, as an atheist, uh, you know, I, I recognize that there will be certain groups who have, so first of all, it's not a general comedy thing. If this is a Christian comedy thing, there's going to be some groups that have their standards. Um, and, uh, Christians, if you if there's like a Muslim comedy show, you probably can't draw pictures of of Allah and make fun of him, or sorry, Muhammad and make fun of him. Um, so like I get that there's there's a set of rules associated with this a belief system, and but it's this it's this small it's this group right that is declaring that we're it's not a comedy show it's a Christian comedy show that's a different thing, um, and I would argue if. If that was widespread, kind of like you, if there were Christians, if, if it was, if comedy shows on every campus everywhere, whether or not they had the Christian label, were, um, were, have been taken over by Christians saying you couldn't swear and you can't do this, and I would be fighting the same battle yes. against those Christians and saying, like, no, 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 no. Like, you're allowed. And, and actually, if SJWs want to have SJW comedy night, fine. Like, do that. But it's the fact that they are, um, you know, A, in mainstream and B, trying to force their ideology upon the mainstream. You know, I would also oppose a Christian group that was saying, like, well, these are our standards for Christian comedy and they should be everyone's standards. Those should be the mainstream standards. And we're going to fight to make those the mainstream standards. Um, I would be opposed to that as well. So, you know, if if a group, any group, social justice warriors or whomever want to have uh you know, want to get together and say, this is our group. Our standards are different from the mainstream. We're not implying that everyone should have to agree with us and that these necessarily need to be implemented uh, in the mainstream. But we like our little safe space for our little SJW jokes. And we're going to have an SJW comedy night. And to do that, you got to sign a freaking form. Like, I don't yeah, care. If, That's if, fine. Exactly. If it was its own thing and it said, but instead it's the overall attitude. They have entire... Uh, offices and staff and and these friggin you know they're not academics they're administrators and bureaucrats that they're paying these exorbitant salaries on campus to push this religion it is a religion um so right. that made me think of the other difference i thought of which is this comedy show is not happening at a church it's happening on a college campus which used to symbolize a place of free inquiry and free speech and you know the birth of the free speech movement it was in berkeley and now berkeley is one of the most restrictive um, in terms of speech. And so that's just really sad to me that you're seeing this kind of all these and you can't do that in that whole list that they had in the agreement. That's not, they're not billing it as a, this is our little insular religion comedy show. They're billing it as this is the way we all believe now in the world. And like you said, they're trying to enforce it. They're trying to put it on people. I, I was so blessed to meet, um, a really great group of Christians this past year who, um, through the civility dinners. And I remember we, at one of our dinners, we were talking about I can't remember what we were talking about, but the topic of gay marriage came up. And this one guy, uh, this friend who's an evangelical was saying, well, we don't really, it, there's God's law and there's man's law. It's, it was sort of like live and let live. Like we're not going to come and try and to influence the man. We're just going to, we believe, we want to be able to believe what we want to believe, but we're not going to come out and protest against, you know, whatever. And, and that was so new to me because I'd always been, had the stereotype in my mind of like the, um, 
like the type of Christian who's like the Westboro Baptist Church type of Christian. Um, right. And right. and so that they're not enforcing. It's not like if you have a Christian comedy show on campus, it's not like we want to subject everyone to the, the rules that we're going to have at our event. Um, so that's a difference. Anyway. Right. And we're not. Yeah. And, and, and you're not like if you're a, like a Christian comedy club doesn't go and yell at a comedian who performed somewhere else for a joke that didn't meet their standards. Right. Right. Um, it's like, that's not a, that's not a thing. Right. Um, but you know, I, I think one thing that, um, makes Western culture, uh, special is, and, and you can have arguments about where this came from, whether it came from, uh, Christian ideology, obviously the enlightenment is a big part of it, but um, there's this idea that like there is, and, and I know that separation of church and state actually isn't in the constitution, but it is a, a precedent. Um, and there it is, an, it is a, a cultural, uh, it's, an, it's, an, it's an idea that's pervasive in Western culture. And, you know, prior to, to that, the church and state weren't really separate. And so any moral laws that you had, any kind of moral set of standards were, were implemented by the government and enforced using the force of the government. And one thing that makes America special, uh, and not just America, there's other countries that have uh, have this, but one thing that made America special, you know, originally and still makes America special is like, okay, there is this disconnect. I can I cannot believe you can believe in Christianity. Someone else can be a Jew. Someone else can be a Muslim. Someone else can be a Zoroastrian, and not none of us get to to force the others to adhere to our moral standards. There's instead this separate set of standards based on natural law about us having individual rights and needing to not murder and steal and leave each other alone. Mm -hmm. And like, okay, we don't hit people, we don't steal their stuff, but we also can't force people to pray in a certain way or use certain words or like we're leaving that kind of messy reality out there. And it means that I will disagree with lots of people about the way they live their lives and the words they use and the things they do and say to people, but that's okay. I'm right. allowed to disagree. I, I don't need to shoot them for it and send them to jail, uh, which is ultimately what wielding government power is. Mm -hmm. Anyway, you wanted me to play this video. I don't know if this will work, but it's a great video. So I'm going to try it. Okay, I see it now. For those of you who were just listening, that just sounded weird, I'm sure. But well, there uh, was no sound, at least on my end. There was no sound. Oh, there's no sound. Okay, so no yeah, one can hear it but anyway. So people can go. It's got a really funny music with it. But uh, I was just talking about that with Carter. That the YouTuber, his name is Some Black Guy. I think he also goes by Derek Blackman on Facebook. But um, on YouTube, he's Some Black Guy, and he just did this really short video back when the "It's Okay to Be White" uh, meme was happening, and it just it cracked me up so much. And I was telling Carter. A few years ago, when I started sort of go undergoing this transformation, like leaving the SJW ideology behind, I started to realize 
man, it's like at the same time that all these mainstream comics or people that you see on television and in the clubs and stuff, at the same time that they were becoming more cowardly and more like a uh, group think and all saying the same beliefs on stage for claps. Um, I start to see this really unruly kind of humor on YouTube where these younger kids who were just kind of thumbing their nose at these, uh, which is what comedy is supposed to do, thumbing their nose at the status quo, at the taboos, at the things they're not allowed to say. Um, and the, really the only things like, gosh, man, the only things making me laugh these days are these YouTubers. <laughs> So, yeah, no, I mean, for um, those who didn't who didn't see that video, just to, to describe it, it's like a black guy kind of going about his day, you know, dum -dum -dum, walks up to this door and there's a sign that says uh, it's OK to be white. And he like feigns a heart attack and like falls over in, in, in depression <laughs> that it like, oh, my God. I just, ah. uh, because but, at that time in the news, they were they were saying, I think it was some 4chan meme or something where they started putting up all these signs just to troll just to get SJWs to freak out and write a lot of opinion pieces about how um, it's okay to be white is white supremacy. <laughs> like it's not okay to be white. And so right. they was like, oh, it's harmful. And there were colleges that were saying, yo, we got to take down these harmful signs. So he's like making fun of that. It was just, it was really funny. Yeah, yeah. No, and 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 to kind of underscore what you were just talking about, um, kind of the, 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 the younger kids kind of poke, like uh, being counterculture and, and, being the funny, the funny ones making these videos, uh, you know, Keith, Keith reminded us that um, uh, on the chat that, you know, the, one of the things that the court, the role that the court jester played in, in the past was, uh, you know, he was the only one that could uh, really get away with speaking the truth to the king. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and that's part of what comedy can do. And, um, you know, I, I think nowadays it is the younger kids and you and I talked about this also, um, for for the older generations, um, maybe maybe joking about Nazis is too serious, right? Because they they lived through it, and or or mm -hmm. at least they they have you know parents or grandparents who lived through it. But I think what we're seeing for these younger generations, like PewDiePie and and the younger kids, Nazis. I think you use the term like they're just kind of cartoonish. It's like this weird like stupid thing. Like who would ever be a Nazi? What a dumb ideology. Mm -hmm. And like yes, it's evil and destructive, but like how stupid and they wore stupid outfits and they said stupid things and like it's almost unbelievable and so to them they can kind of joke and be like haha like i'm gonna you know pewdiepie one of his responses to being uh uh saying that yes i guess someone blamed him for saying some nazi stuff or whatever is one of his responses at the end of this video is like he kind of it looked like he kind of pretended to like leave the camera on by mistake and like put on like a German uniform and like <laughs> watched a Hitler video <laughs> for a minute. And like, you know, he's like, they just think it's funny. And I think, um, I don't think there's anything wrong with them thinking it's funny. I mean, you know, kids just didn't, my, uh, I've, I mentioned this before, but my wife is from China and, you know, we watched this show man in the high castle and like, she thinks it's like funny to say, like she thinks some of the Nazi words are funny and some of the things that they do are funny. And, Sometimes she'll say things and I'll be like, you can't like you can't joke about that. Like, oh, don't we're in the Bay Area. Like it's Nazis. You can't joke about it. And she's like, well, it's Nazis. I don't know. Like, you know, for her, like Nazis are not a, like it wasn't part of the culture. And, you know, uh, the Japanese we can't joke about that because they invaded China a lot. And that like it's that was more sensitive maybe. to her. Yeah. Right. But but Nazis, eh, they were just kind of this funny, stupid thing. So 
Um, well, and what you know, better way to subvert a dangerous ideology than to make it a punchline? I mean, that's what they're doing. Sure, they're making fun sure. of it. They're making Hitler into a laugh line, like like he's he's the punchline. Um, it, I would say, I would argue now, the reason why they're so funny is because SJW ideology has become mainstream. I mean, you you've got you've got comedians now talking about implicit bias you have the, the clinton mentioned implicit bias in a speech you've got all these concepts that used to be in the classroom or now that people are preaching them in the mainstream and so anyway that's the status quo that's the king and so they yeah. are poking fun at the king and and you know this is why i i don't necessarily disagree with sjw's about the punching up thing but pun making fun of sjw ideology is punching up it is. Yeah. I mean, I disagree with him about the punching up thing generally, because uh, I think it requires that you constantly maintain some sort of hierarchy in your head and are hyper vigilant about which direction you're punching. And I think if you're going to be a comedian, you just kind of punch, you just punch around until you find something that's funny <laughs> and like, oh, that's funny. Like, around. okay, great. Oh, that one bombed. I shouldn't say anything about like, whatever this is right now. Right. So right. Uh, it's too early to make AIDS jokes or whatever it is. Right. Um, so um, so yeah, I, know we're, I mean, I know we're uh, way, way over. Can I say one more thing? Okay. What? <laughs> so this just gets to the epitome of, of what the, the problem with the SJW comedy is. This was a year ago. I was in an argument with someone, um, uh, who is a former friend, or I think she's still a social media friend, but uh, when I was in the SJW world, so an SJW friend, and I was talking about how SNL is like so weak the past few years and they only they only hit at the obvious targets like Trump. They don't do anything like the YouTube kids are doing. They don't, they're not subversive. Um, if they were, they, they, they had Matt Damon playing Kavanaugh, right? They would have had Dana Carvey on playing Christine Blasey Ford, but they didn't cause they're cowards. <laughs> uh, but right. uh, uh, anyway, a year ago they had this, this sketch video with all the women in the cast. And it was a, like a music video called welcome to hell. And you can find it online probably. And it was basically the whole, the joke of it was, I guess supposed to be that it's horrible to be a woman. We, we have to carry pepper spray at night. It was like a bunch of stuff that we have to do because it's so hard to be a woman. And I posted it and I was like, does, I just want to know, does anyone think this fun? This is funny? Even if you agree with the message, do you think it's funny? Right. And this one friend who, the SJW friend, she started arguing with me and she basically goes, uh, I don't know. This is, I don't know if humor was the driving force as much as the message. I'm like, yes, that's, that's my the point. point. That's my point. And then we kept going back and forth. She goes, this is later on. I didn't find it particularly funny, but I'm going to chalk this up as a, this week on comedy, strong on message sketch is a win. And she goes on to write about how it's more important for the message to, uh, we, we need to disrupt and we're living in a world where people's lives are in danger. This is that whole hyperbolic thing they do again. Um, but anyway, th she kept repeating what I was saying, which is that it's not funny, but to her, it's okay because the message is important. Well, that's, that's convergence. That's SJW convergence in comedy where you see the ideology is now more important than the humor. So, right. and they don't care. They're fine. Cause the message is on point. Is it funny? No, but the preaching is right. They're right. preaching what we like. Right. And this right. is what will ultimately kill a lot of companies, right? It's, is it profitable? No, but the message is on point. I'm like, all right, well, eventually that'll yeah. die. Um, so, uh, by the way, uh, Jason says that Godfrey Elfwick was a great satirical <gasps> troll who mocked SJWs on Twitter for a while. Um, I don't know Man. who that was. I, I did paste uh, Titania McGrath's URL in there. She's uh, like a fake SJW who's hilarious on Twitter as well. Uh, totally over the top. 
um, who I, I think follow. she might be run by the same woman who used to do Godfrey. So Godfrey oh, really? Southwick was hilarious. He was a fake SJW. He posted that he was a uh, he was trans race uh, Muslim. Uh, so, like he just had this whole list of things where he was in the wrong skin, and he and he used all of their arguments against them. But he he was so good that a lot of times SJWs thought he was for real. And they would like tweet him. They would retweet him because they agreed with yeah. him. But it was so over yeah. the top. He got banned. Of course, he got banned because he was he was. Oh, he got hilarious. banned. He got banned oh, okay. repeatedly. And I think the only place you can find him now is probably on Facebook. He's not he. It, and it's huh. a woman. It, 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 there's an article. Look up Godfrey Elfwick. It ended up okay. that it was a woman the whole time writing it. Who's hilarious. Well, if it's the same person, uh, still hilarious. I mean, Tatani <laughs> McGrath is is similar, and she's so good at it that. Um, a lot of a lot of non-SGWs get into like heated arguments with. Her. Yes, I think it's the <laughs> so, same person. <laughs> it's pretty good. It's pretty good. So, on that note, um, thank you everyone for for watching. Uh, Carrie, I don't know if we know what we're doing next week, but we might be we might be interviewing someone about racism next week. Uh, who wrote an article, but not not totally clear. But uh, Let's anyway, just thanks watch everyone. A bunch of the uh, the SJW non-approved Christmas specials. And so oh, yes, we will do a Christmas <laughs> special where we're going to go through Baby It's Cold Outside. And I think they're upset about Charlie Brown, too, or something. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Um, so we'll uh, we'll do, we'll ruin your Christmas as well. We promise. Um, so. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, everyone, for watching. Really appreciate it. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Unsafe Show. You can go to unsafeshow.com. We've got a Facebook page. Uh, we've got a couple of Facebook pages. There's an unsafe space page and there's a deprogrammed page, which is this show, which is on. Uh, every Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific time. So join us. You can also find podcasts of Unsafe Space. Deprogrammed is, is on the Unsafe, Unsafe Space podcast. So uh, please do what you can to support the show. Uh, even just liking and sharing is, is super valuable. So thanks, everyone, and we will catch you next time. <laughs>